0: Hello, and welcome back to Think Yourself Healthy Podcast. I'm your host, Heather Barbieri. Before we dive into this episode, I just want to remind you that if you take a screenshot that you're listening and tag us on Instagram, we'll send you a 15% off discount for the eight-week Retrain Your Brain program. Just take a screenshot and tag me at Heather Barbieri RDN. Thanks for listening, and let's get right to it. Hello everybody. Welcome to today's episode of Think Yourself Healthy. I have an incredible guest that I am so honored to have an opportunity to interview. His name is Dr. Jerry Tennant and I cannot wait for you to hear what he has to say. He has been a transformational component of my healing journey up to this point post COVID and uh I'll have him share with you today a little bit about what it is that he specializes in and how this has been able to uh, help support me. And I am I am so confident that so many listeners are also going to find a lot of value in what he has to share. So Dr. Tenet, thank you so much for being with us today.
1: Well, thank you for having me. It's an honor to be here
0: i am so excited to have a chance to uh expose you to the audience so i was so fortunate to have an individual um introduce me to your work and when i was exposed to the work that you have done um it it was like this light bulb that went off and said this is the root of the problem this is why i am stuck and i cannot get better so I honor you and all that you have done and brought forth to, uh, to others to help support them and their healing practices. Um, today, I would like to interview you, not as Dr. Jerry Tennant, but as a private membership association, if you are okay with that.
1: Sure. And I also always announce before I give lectures that I'm not lecturing with my Texas medical license. I'm lecturing with my Arizona license. Okay. Uh, and the reason is uh, the Texas doesn't allow its physicians to speak about things that aren't so-called standard of care. And obviously I'm only really discussing things that aren't standard of care. So I'm lecturing with, with my Arizona MDH license.
0: Okay. So can you tell the audience a little bit about why that even matters?
1: Well, uh, yeah, because Most people don't understand the concept of standard of care, but it was developed by the insurance companies after computers got fast enough that they could use the algorithms to figure out how they could make the most money for every diagnosis. Mm -hmm. So they presented it as okay, this is uh, suggestions to physicians to standardize their care, which will make care better for the patients. And that's how they sold it. But eventually the uh, medical boards and then the courts began to hold physicians to those recommendations, and if physicians didn't follow those, then they were either lost their medical license and or were found guilty of malpractice. So again, it evolved into something different, but if you go back to the roots of so-called standard of care, it was all about insurance companies making more money.
0: So this is honestly the root to most individuals' frustration when it comes to uh, trying to adapt into the conventional healthcare model, because ultimately it's these ICD-9 codes that uh, really are the root of the kind of care that you're going to receive. Is that what I'm hearing?
1: Yeah, and you see physicians required to... uh, after they figure out what they think is wrong with the patient to assign it a code. Mm -hmm. And once the code is signed, the care is out of the physician's hands. It's in the control of basically the insurance companies. Mm -hmm. So the current insurance companies have a one size fits all. And so, you know, if a patient is in the hospital and and is still doing poorly, it doesn't matter. They still get discharged because otherwise the insurance won't pay for it. And so out the door they go. And so, Again, doctors have very little flexibility as far as taking care of the patients like I did back in the day when when insurance companies weren't dictating how physicians took care of their patients. Mm
0: -hmm. I think it's so important for the listeners to have an understanding of this because doctors get such a bad rep these days. You know, my doctor doesn't care. They're not listening to me. I'm not getting the support. I'm not getting the lab tests that I need. And ultimately, it's not a matter of any of that. It truly is that they're being bound to the standard process or standard care process that uh, was established through insurance recommendations.
1: Well, and the other thing is very difficult to have a private practice anymore. Almost all medicine is delivered by corporations. And so corporations uh, uh require, like most, many family practice uh, docs are required to see 50 patients a day or lose their job. Well, you can't really do a very good job seeing 50 people a day.
0: Absolutely, <clears throat> well, You definitely can't get to the root of the problem because there's just not enough time to explore all of the evidence that is there to justify what action steps need to be taken. I know this is something that I personally have been struggling with over the last 20 minutes since uh, going through this long COVID process and having so many body systems shut down. All All I get is just a referral to a specialist who has a standard, you know, recommendation of testing that needs to be done. And unfortunately for me, None of it is getting to the true root of the problem, which was creating more anxiety, more stress on my nervous system. And when I discovered you and the information that you have to share, it was just a game changer. Like I was just completely blown away going, this is it. This is the root of the problem. Now, how do I fix this? So I'm excited for us to kind of go a little deeper into what you've discovered over the many years of being in practice as, you know, based on your own personal experience. So um, I would like to kind of hand it over to you and make you the host now if you're up for that so that we can um, bring the audience so much value.
1: Sure. Thank you. Well, you know, I'm trained as an ophthalmologist and practiced uh, uh, ophthalmology for about 30 some years, had a great deal of fun doing that. Um, uh, was able to change the way ophthalmology is practiced in a variety of different ways. Uh, but one of the things that I did was, was to do the majority of the research for the laser that's used in LASIK surgery for the company called Visix. And what we didn't know at the time was that the laser wouldn't kill viruses. And so I was using it to carve the scar off of the cornea of a fellow Who also had leukemia. So, as I released the scar, it released viruses, which went into my nose and into my brain, and I developed encephalitis. Mm -hmm. Now, I was only able to, the virus was only able to affect my brain because I also had a root canal tooth that's in the same circuit as the thinking part of my brain, which had lowered the voltage and oxygen and thus the immune system in my brain so that the virus could take over. So I ended up spending about seven years in bed, sleeping 16 hours a day, had two or three hours a day in which I could think and then like a light switch, it'd go off and I couldn't understand anything anymore. So I went to the best docs I could find, uh, the head of the NIH infectious disease, the head of corneal uh, immunology at Harvard, et cetera. And they all said, well, you got three viruses in your brain. Uh, uh, Good luck, don't call us, we'll call you. So during that two or three hours a day, I could think I had the opportunity to decide, do I want to just lay down and call it a day? Or do I want to, in those two or three hours a day, try to figure out how to get myself well? And obviously, I chose the latter. And so as I was thinking about how to try to get well, I realized that that, uh, if I could figure out how to make one cell work, I should be able to make them all work. So I bought some cellular biology books, which I hadn't read in about 30 years. And something jumped out, I, have, I think I bought 10 books and each one of them had something that said, talked about that uh, cells had to run at a pH of 7.35 or 7.45. Well, I didn't know a lot about pH, but as I'll show you in a moment, pH is all about voltage in a liquid. I said, oh, cells need voltage to work. That makes sense, They have to have some energy. And that started me on down the road that I'm about to discuss with you. And of course that was, uh, uh, I got sick at the end of 1995. So um, obviously I, I've I lived a lot longer than they predicted so, cause I'll be 83 in June. Wow. So, uh, so what I wanna share with you are are some of the things that I've learned over these years and uh, what helped me get well. And then now I've been spending all this time over these years trying to help other folks get well. So let me pull up a, um, a slide presentation here. Can you see that all right? Well, um I've always been a fairly private and shy kind of person, but I find that oftentimes people think my cheese slipped off the cracker unless I explain some of the things that I've done. And so I take just a quick run through that. I uh, did a residency in ophthalmology at Harvard medical school and in Boston and uh, Southwestern medical school in Dallas the Parkland Mm -hmm. hospital. And I'm board certified in ophthalmology and uh, also board certified by the American society of ophthalmic plastic and reconstructive surgery. And I was director of the Dallas high clinic and also taught uh, at Parkland, uh, both ophthalmology and plastic surgery. And so, um, interestingly enough, the, the concept of biohacking has become very popular, and I've been doing that since 1965, so I've been hacking a fairly long time. I've had a few people recognize my work over the years. One of the more surprising ones is to get a call to see if I would accept an honor from the Vatican. For my contributions to medicine, they awarded me the Order of Saint Sylvester, which is kind of their, a little bit similar to their Nobel Prize at the, but uh, I was particularly surprised since I'm not Catholic and honored to get it. Mm-hmm. And there are several other similar awards uh, that have recognized my work, for which I'm very grateful. As I mentioned earlier, I, I lecture um uh, under my Arizona license, uh, and also as a private expressive association. So let's take a look at the human electrical system. The The body actually has about five different batteries, the most significant of which is our muscles. And our muscles are stacked one on top of each other in a very specific order. Uh, and because our muscles are piezoelectric rechargeable batteries, they provide the 25 millivolts that cells need to run and the 50 millivolts it takes to make new cells to keep things repaired. And then the voltages actually go through our teeth on our way to our cells. And then they go to the cell membrane, which is a capacitor, which is a small battery. Underneath the cell membrane is a specific kind of water, which has been named like EZ for exclusion zone water, which is, again, is a sort of a battery. Then you go into the mitochondria and inside we have uh, uh, a rechargeable battery system called ADP and ATP. And then finally we get to the, to the um, DNA and it's powered by what's called scalar energy. Well, what is piezoelectricity? Well, if you take a piece of quartz and squeeze it with a pair of pliers, it emits electrons. So anytime you distort something and it emits electrons, it's called piezoelectric. So our muscles are actually designed to, every time you move them, generate and store voltage. And so that's uh, one of the primary reasons that it's important to move, exercise, et cetera, because that's a primary way the body uh, has available voltage that it needs. And so the other understanding that I just briefly mentioned earlier is the concept of pH. So if you talk about voltage in an electric wire, that's called conductive voltage, and it's either the switch is either on or off. But in a liquid, you have a different situation in which you have the opportunity for it to be an electron donor or an electron stealer. So um, if you take a pH meter, which is actually a, a fancy voltmeter, you can either switch it to pH or switch it to, to voltage and it measures in millivolts. So by convention, if the if the uh, solution is an electron donor, you put an electro, a minus sign in front of it. If it's an electron stealer, you put a plus sign in front of it. So minus 400 millivolts of electron donor is, is the same thing uh, on a logarithmic scale as a pH of 14. Plus 400 millivolts of electron stealer is a pH of zero. And if it's neither a donor nor a stealer, then it's a pH of seven so again when you say that cells are designed to run it at a ph of 7.35 to 7.45 you're saying it's designed to run between minus 20 and minus 25 millivolts so again as an example here you can see how our muscles are stacked one on top of each other in specific order uh, to form a power pack so every organ in the body has its own battery pack And a stack of muscle batteries, what's been called an acupuncture meridian. So this one called the spleen meridian starts under the big toe, goes up the inside of the leg, special branch goes to the female genitalia, goes around the back where it gets the adrenal glands, the spleen and the pancreas goes up into the neck and makes a loop and hooks into what's called the stomach circuit. Now the stomach circuit and, and the Spleen circuit are actually part of the same one. It's just the one that goes up is named spleen. One comes back down is named stomach. As it makes that loop, it goes to the macula of the eye. So anyone with macular degeneration has lost power in the stomach circuit. So as cells wear out, they don't get replaced. So you get fewer and fewer pixels and pretty soon you don't have enough pixels to see well. And that's basically what happens everywhere. So, uh, now it's well known in battery technology that if you take a rechargeable battery and you drain it to zero it flips its polarity upside down. So if you take a battery and put it upside down in a battery charger won't take a charge. That's exactly what happens in the human. So um, as uh, as we uh, discharge our uh, one or more of our battery packs it finally flips its polarity and when there's no there's no 25 millivolts to think make things run correctly, and certainly no 50 millivolts to keep things repaired, then obviously that whatever organs are powered by that circuit are not going to function and not going to stay repaired. And that's where all disease begins. So, you know, what uh, happened to me was, of course, I flipped a circuit, not knowing it, that uh, my root canal flipped the circuit in my spleen stomach circuit, which meant I didn't have the power to run that. Certainly couldn't keep it well. Uh, And so I gradually faded uh, from normal 25 millivolts where everything was great. And finally got down to about five millivolts where obviously things weren't working so great. So I just sort of faded away. And that's what happens to a lot of people. So what I've discovered is that there's only one pathway to all chronic disease. Let me say that again finally figured out there's only one pathway to all chronic disease. And it all starts with really flipping the polarity in one of your power packs. So once you flip the polarity, then you don't have the voltage, so you can't make cells. So one of the first things that happens to you is that you lose your immune system. And I put this little police car on fire. You know, the police are supposed to be out whipping up on the bad guys. And well, so is your immune system. When you lose your immune system, pretty soon you're going to start getting infections like cold and flu and pneumonia and Lyme disease and all of those kinds of things. You wouldn't get those if you had adequate power in all of your circuits. Well, as, uh, as the voltage and oxygen continue to drop, you start getting injuries, you start getting heart attacks and strokes and uh, cardiovascular disease and diabetes and all those other kinds of things that we all say, oh, well, this is chronic disease but again all of that begins when you lose the the power so that they can't work anymore and they can't keep themselves repaired now uh, one of the interesting things about uh, cardiovascular disease which is a major problem of course for for people in our country is that the our arteries have just one cell thick of the endothelium the lining cells lining the inside of the artery here And then they're surrounded by smooth muscle. And the function of that muscle is to get smaller or bigger to adjust the flow and thus the blood pressure going through it. And then it's surrounded by what's really a cargo netting, which keeps the artery from overstretching. So the issue then is that this cargo netting is is only functional if it has adequate voltage And so if you lose the voltage in your heart circuit, then the artery overstretches. Well, when an artery overstretches because it's only one cell thick, it opens up wounds. And so then you're going to put a scar down there. And so a scar, all scars contain cholesterol and collagen. And so the only role that uh, cholesterol plays in cardiovascular disease is that it makes up the scar. So you can eat a bucket of cholesterol or no cholesterol every day and it won't change your blood cholesterol five percent so the idea that you should avoid foods that are high in cholesterol is nonsense how it, the and the liver makes as much cholesterol as it thinks you need and it, it looks around it because almost all of our hormones are made from cholesterol and our brain is uh, about 90 percent then if the liver looks around and says, oh, we don't have enough hormones, I'm going to make some more cholesterol so you guys can get back to work making hormones. So that's when you have an elevated cholesterol, that's the way it works. Again, it has nothing to do with your diet. So that was all a marketing effort uh, and also a way to sell several billion dollars worth of drugs every year. Um, so the again, uh, cardiovascular disease is due to loss of voltage, in the uh, acupuncture circuit that powers it. If it's in your heart, it's there. If it's somewhere else, like in your legs, it's the local acupuncture circuit or acupuncture power supply. Now let's look at injuries. Every joint is surrounded by uh, six of these bands, as you can see here, uh, of muscle circuits. And so they balance each other and thus protect the, the joint and so it's like having six bungee cords around your joint. The bungee cords keep it uh, firm and stable, but allow it to bend. But if you cut one of the bungee cords, now the joint's unstable. It's unopposed to cord, over, uh, corrects and, and bends it that way and helps wear out the joint. So again, most injuries occur because you've lost power in one or more of your uh, uh, acupuncture circuits around the joint. And then, so what happens is that uh, if you go through this process, you get all of the usual chronic diseases that people think about and know about, and those are often what does us in. But if that's not what does us in, we start down another pathway that has to do with oxygen. And so, um, if we look at uh, our at the oxygen issue. Inside our cells, we have these rechargeable batteries called ATP and ADP. If the battery's charged up, it's called ATP. If it's discharged, it's called ADP. And so this is the final common uh, pathway or the final common battery that provides the 25 millivolts that the cell needs to repair or to run and the 50 millivolts to repair itself. And so... Um, Because it's a rechargeable battery, we have to have a battery charger inside the mitochondria. We call that the Krebs cycle or the citric acid cycle, but basically it likes to run on fatty acids. And so for every unit of fatty acid you put into that battery charger, if oxygen is available, you have enough electrons to charge up 38 of these little batteries. If oxygen is unavailable for every unit of fat you put in, you only get enough electrons to charge up two of these batteries. So it's like having a car that goes from 38 miles a gallon to two miles a gallon. And obviously uh, it becomes very inefficient, but you begin to see the relationship between voltage and oxygen. Now, the next thing we need to look at is what's called the Bohr effect or Bohr's law. Christian Bohr described this. And the issue is that in order to hook oxygen hemoglobin in your lungs, you have to have 34 millivolts in your heart circuit. Now, it's interesting that your trachea and bronchioles are on the lung circuit, but the, where you actually attach uh, oxygen and hemoglobin called the alveoli of your lungs is on the same circuit as the heart. So when you put this little gadget on your finger and it says, okay, you're 98% saturated, it means that your 98% of your red cells and your hemoglobin is, uh, has oxygen attached to it. So. Mm-hmm. One of the issues that happened during COVID, which is kind of interesting, is that even though all medical students are taught Bohr's Law in freshman medical school, they've often forgotten it because people would go into the hospital with a a viral illness and they would measure and say, oh, you're running at 70% or 80% oxygen saturation. We got to put you in ICU, put a tube down your throat and pump oxygen in there. Well, pumping oxygen in there didn't help any because they didn't have the 34 millivolts in their heart circuit. So no matter how much oxygen you put down there, if you don't have 30 millivolts, it won't attach. That's why 80% of the people that got intubated died. Um, So perfect example is a friend of mine uh, up in Utah went into the hospital and he was uh, running uh, in the 70%. They said, well, we're going to uh, vaccinate you and then put you in ICU. And he refused both. So they said, okay, we'll put you in that room over there until you die. So he called and said, Hey, this is what's going on. And so fortunately he had a biomodulator, which is a, one of my devices that puts voltage into the system. And so I um, had him put patches on uh, his wrist uh, where you can attach to the heart circuit and start pumping the voltage into the heart circuit. And so um, so, uh, the next day he went from a 70% saturation to 80%. And then the next day went to 90%. They sent him home and now he's out hiking in the Utah mountains without any oxygen and doing great. Wow. But again, it was just a matter of putting voltage back into his heart circuit. So he would attach. So so that's the uh, part of the oxygen thing of Bohr's law. But the other thing is when it gets out into the tissue, the voltage has to drop from 34 millivolts to 11 millivolts so the oxygen don't come loose. Otherwise, it just keeps circling around in your system, but the cells can't use it. So when this says that you've... So let's say it says you have 98% oxygen here, it doesn't tell you anything really about how much oxygen is available for your, for your tissue. And therein lies a problem because you don't understand... You think, oh, you've got plenty of oxygen. Look, it's 98%. All well, your cells can be 80% efficient, even with, uh, with 98% here. So how does that work? Well, inside of our red blood cells, we have a system called the carbonic acid buffering system. And that system is able to take the carbon dioxide that cells make from their metabolism and using something that's akin to baking soda, turn it into hydrogen. So the hydrogen is able to drop the voltage from 34 millivolts to 11 millivolts, and now the um, oxygen comes loose and the cells can use it. Mm. So that helps us understand why there's so much research that's been done over the last few years about why breathing in what's called Brown's gas, which is a where you take water and separate it into hox- hydrogen and oxygen. So you're breathing in hydrogen, which bypasses this system if it's not working, and yet it releases the oxygen so you have it plus you're breathing in oxygen so it's there as well so one of the problems is this system begins to fail after age 40 in particular because the kidneys get to where they can't make uh, bicarbonate anymore and so without the bicarbonate in the system this begins to fail and that's one of the reasons it's simply taking a quarter of a teaspoon of baking soda and a glass of water every day if you're past 40 is very beneficial for keeping you healthy because it helps restore this natural system uh, and restore oxygen to your tissue. And so people underestimate the power of just a little bit of baking soda.
0: This is insane to me because shortly after COVID, I went into liver failure and I was taking baths that were infused with baking soda. And within a 30 day of doing that consistently, I was able to completely restore my GFR back into an optimal range. Now I have better understanding. Wow.
1: Go figure. So, you know, I don't know what a box of baking soda costs these days, They're probably less than a dollar. So it's amazing that you can do so much to, to keep your health, restore your, your health, restore age, or, or stop the aging process because most a great deal of the aging process is due to lack of oxygen at mm-hmm. your tissue level. And so simply. An inexpensive thing like making soda goes a long way toward uh, keeping all of that going. Wow. Well, this slide just shows you how our bodies are kind of wired up. Uh, so our wire, they're wired up as what's called a Tesla resonating circuit. So the all of these on the back side here are capacitors, and all of these on the front side are coils. When you wire a capacitor to a coil, you have what's called a Tesla resonating circuit in electronics. So our bodies are wired up just like all the rest of the electronic systems. So for example, the lung is always wired to the large intestine, the heart's always wired to the small intestine, spleen to the stomach, kidneys to the bladder, et cetera so um now, the next thing we need to look at is um as um as we continue to lose uh um we continue to lose um um uh, voltage, uh, and then we continue to lose oxygen, the next thing that happens is that fungus shows up. So every living thing contains fungal spores, whether it's uh, plants or human or animals, we all contain fungal spores. And so when, let's say this leaf, with you can see the fungal spores on it, let's say this leaf falls off a tree, then what happens is that those spores wake up put out enzymes and turn that leaf to dirt. And the same thing happens to, if you have an animal that dies in the forest, fungus shows up, turns that animal to dirt. And so that's the role, uh, an important role of having fungus in all living things. Otherwise we'd all be over our eyeballs and dead leaves and dead animals. So let's say you lose the voltage in and oxygen in your liver. Well, fungus is gonna try to turn your liver to dirt. Uh, and it doesn't know and doesn't care if the rest of you is okay. So when you flip the polarity in this power supply to your liver and 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 uh, time goes by and oxygen keeps dropping more and more, pretty soon your fungus is trying to turn your liver to dirt. And as a matter of fact, one of the things we've been working with uh, quite a bit uh, this last several months is people with ALS. And what we found is that they all have lost power in their liver cir- uh, circuit which is the power supply to the spinal cord. And of course, what's happening then in ALS is that fungus is trying to turn their spinal cord to dirt, and that's why their spinal cord gets working. And it's so um, once you understand how all of that works, then it hasn't been so difficult to start getting them better. So let's go back then and talk about uh, what happens next. So um, as we, here we go. So again, if you don't get, if you don't uh, get done in by heart attacks, strokes, injuries, all that stuff, you start going down this road, you start losing oxygen. And here you can see an oxygen, a, a fungal spore in a phase contrast microscope. And you can, it's been shown, you can see this fungus show up two years before you develop a malignancy. Wow. But the next step is, as things keep dropping more and more, is you end up with a malignancy. And so let's see how the malignancy situation works. So the theory that malignancies are caused by mutated genes was proposed by Boveri in 1902. And so that's been the theory upon which cancer has been treated since then. So with that idea that genes mutate for some unknown reason, make cells grow rapidly, and we call that cancer, we use surgery to go in and cut out the the tumor and throw it away. Or we give drugs uh, or chemicals that destroy rapidly growing cells. We call that chemotherapy. Or radiation kills anything it touches. So that's been the basis of cancer therapy since 1902. Now, let's see how that's working. So this is data from the American Cancer Society from 1930 to 2019. And what you can see is our ability to treat cancer hasn't really changed since 1930. Uh, lung cancer did get worse as more people smoked. It got better as fewer people smoked. But again, it hasn't changed much since 1930. And this is for men, this is for women. The scatter is broader, but it's still the same situation. As you can see, most of these lines are fairly straight. Yeah. Uh, Actually, you can see for the women, a lot of it uh, uh, has not gone significantly better. Well, here's an interesting study out of Australia and what they showed was that the uh, the effects of chemotherapy, uh, as far as extending five-year survival, uh, was for people who did chemotherapy, 2.3% of them live longer than those who didn't in Australia, and 2.1% in the U.S. So basically, it's obvious that chemotherapy fails us, as far as extending five-year survival, in about 98% of the cases. Wow. So... Now, let's look at the theory that seems to be correct, and that was presented by uh, Mueller in 1838. Mueller said that cancer is caused by stem cells. He used different terms, but that's what he was talking about. Well, there have been several studies published in the past five years that show that normal cells don't become malignant, only stem cells do. Well, um, what appears to happen is that uh, the stem cells... uh, are what's causing the malignancies are created in the tumor. And then we look at the work of, of Seyfried published in 2013, showing that mutated genes do not control cancer. So Tom Seyfried's up in Boston at Boston University, and what he did was to take a cancerous cell, remove its nucleus with its mutated genes, put in a normal nucleus, assuming the cell would become normal. It did not. It stayed malignant. Then did the opposite, took a normal cell, removed its normal nucleus, and inserted a cancerous nucleus with mutated genes, assuming the cell would become malignant. It did not, it stayed normal. When that was uh, repeated at several other universities, it became apparent that mutated genes aren't what's driving the bus, they're just secondary phenomenon. Which help us understand, if we're aiming all of our therapies at, at something with mutated genes, and that's not the right theory, explains why the Australian study shows it doesn't work very well. Mm -hmm. So I have some thoughts about uh, how it works. And uh, what I believe that happens is that as voltage drops and oxygen drops, then um, the uh, cells or the stem cells get the message that oxygen is dropping. And why does that matter? Well, Let me just say that I began to notice several years ago that every cancer patient that I saw, they'd flip the polarity in the in the power supply to that organ. So, for example, the power supply to the breast and the ovaries is the stomach circuit. So you'll never see, at least I've never seen, a person with breast cancer that hadn't flipped the polarity in the breast in the in the uh, stomach circuit, liver, liver circuit, etc. So you can go down the list, and whatever organ has a, a malignancy you will always uh, in my experience find it's flipped its polarity now i hadn't was when i discovered this i wasn't aware of the of the work of keith brewer brewer was a physicist who looked at cell membranes and what brewer published was that all normal cells run at 25 millivolts of electron donor but all cancer cells are at plus 30 millivolts of electron stealer well I guess he's because he's a physicist he assumed everybody knew that if you went to from minus to plus you flip the polarity he didn't say that but that's what that means and so when he so he really is the first one that I can find that published that uh, in all malignancies you flip the polarity so he really deserves a credit instead of me for that okay. now we've talked about Bohr's work in oxygen and that as voltage drops uh, and the voltage controls uh, oxygen, then you begin to see the next piece of the puzzle. And we've talked about fungus, which was, by the way, uh, first described perhaps by Tullio Simoncini, a Roman oncologist, who noticed that any time that you could see a uh, look at a tumor, it was surrounded by by fungus and here's a breast tumor that you can actually see coming through the breast and here's a close-up image and you can actually see the white fungus growing on it wow now simoncini thought the fungus was causing the cancer he was wrong about that but nevertheless he ca- called attention to the relationship between the two and i think this is probably one of the more important things and this is otto warburg uh, otto warburg in 1931 got a nobel prize for his work showing the following, the cause of cancer is no longer a mystery. We know it occurs when any cell is de- is denied 60 percent of its oxygen requirements. Let me say that again: oxygen uh, cancer is no longer a mystery. It occurs when any cell is deprived of 60 percent of its oxygen. So how does 60 percent how does 60 percent oxygen happen? Well, we've been discussing that. First thing you got to do is you got to flip the polarity in your muscle battery packs, in your acupuncture circuit. That eventually leads to um, inability to have adequate amounts of oxygen available for the cells. And so as that continues to drop, fungus shows up, fungus starts trying to turn the cells to dirt. And so as the cells are damaged, the stem cells get the message, hey, we're dying over here, we need some more oxygen. So stem cells go somewhere nearby, invade local blood vessels, make a mass of blood vessels in an effort to bring more oxygen into the tissue to save it. And so one of the interesting things is that this was actually described, um, in, uh, 1911, I believe it was by a Scottish embryologist. And what he noticed is that in a pregnancy, because the mother's uterine arteries are inadequate to support a baby. That stem cells go in, invade mom's uh, uterus, invade blood vessels, and make a bla- mass of blood vessels, which we call a placenta. And that, um, so, um, it has been noted that uh, that if you test for it, both in men and women, you can often find the hormone that's only found in pregnancy and cancer. A chorionic gonadotrophic hormone so again you can find this hormone of pregnancy in some males who have cancer wow. so that helps support the concept that a tumor is actually the body's uh, effort to overcome lack of oxygen and tissue wow. so that also helps us understand why when you go in and destroy the tumor either by any of the mechanisms that we use it often comes back in a few years because you haven't fixed the real problem, which apparently is the lack of oxygen that for which no a Nobel Prize was given in 1931. So basically, you end up with you over here with low oxygen, <laughs> fungus trying to destroy you. And so basically, whoever wins this battle determines your ultimate uh, survival. Wow. And so... Um, the real issue is if you're going to deal with any of these issues that you have to deal with um, the voltage and uh, the oxygen. So again, what I find is that there's only one pathway to chronic disease and it all begins with flipping polarity in your battery pack. So when you flip it, you don't have enough voltage to keep cells working or in order to keep them repaired. And then you start getting all of these chronic diseases that Everybody thinks, oh, you know, I've got pneumonia, I've got uh, angina, I've got diabetes, I've got whatever, and and you get injuries and so forth. And if that doesn't do you in, you start down this other oxygen deprivation pathway, which always ends in a malignancy if you don't deal with it. Well, once you understand that the that there's a pretty much a straight line between normal voltage and lacking 60% of your oxygen levels, and all of these illnesses occur somewhere on that line, then it becomes much easier, I think, to consider how to deal with them. Mm -hmm. So what's the root cause? Ah, you flip the polarity. We've identified five different reasons that people flip the polarity. Not enough thyroid hormone, because the thyroid hormone T3 controls the voltage of every cell membrane in the body and the total number of mitochondria putting a scar across the wiring system, which is the fascia around the muscles. If you screw up the wiring system, then even if the muscles are charged, it can't go anywhere. And then third, you got dental infections because all of the circuits uh, in the embryo begin in the brain and go down through the body uh, and uh, on their way down, they go through teeth. So all of our uh, circuits have a tooth uh, integrated as part of that circuit. And if you have corrosion in the bone around a tooth, it's like corrosion, in a string of lights. It takes out the whole circuit. So again, we got thyroid, scars, dental infections. Then we have emotions. Our emotions are stored in the body uh, as uh, uh, frequencies that are out of tune with the body where our emotion, our memories are stored with frequencies that are in tune with the body. And all of those are stored with scalar energy, which we don't have time to discuss today. Uh, but the, those things are, it's easy to take uh, and use uh, scalar energy to transfer uh, the stressful emotion into being just a memory, and then no longer blocks the circuit. And then finally, we have the, the toxins. So obviously, there are all sorts of toxins, and they're all electron stealers. And again, because each one of those is made up of specific frequencies of their atomic structure, you can easily change those or destroy toxins electronically as well. So the basic uh, concept and the basic thing is that all one really needs to do is to learn how to measure your various circuits. And there are various points on the body that you can easily learn how to do. So in a matter of 10 or 15 seconds, you can check your circuits and be sure they're all turned on and powered up. Um, if uh they have lost their power, then obviously you're going to start down this pathway. And if you don't deal with it, eventually it'll get you down here. Yeah. Um, so a great deal of my efforts at this time in life are trying to teach people how to measure their circuits, how to understand the importance of that. And then we, uh, I like to say it's uh, it'll, a little bit like if you're kind of drive from Dallas to Chicago, you're going to keep looking at your gas gauge. Well, what a person needs to do is to learn how to, you know, each morning you brush your teeth and you check your circuits to be sure they're all on it, that you're not running out of gas, so to speak. And if if you are running out of gas, then it's fairly easy to use the uh, equipment that we've developed, one of which puts out scalar energy, which flips the polarity back to normal, and then one of which is electromagnetic, which charges the batteries back up, and then uh, now the your body has the power to go back to healing and the body never forgets how to heal itself just needs to have the voltage and all the raw materials to make new cells and get rid of the toxins and then get out of the way and let it heal by the way we don't claim to treat malignancies at our clinic we train we our job is to to get the physiology of people back to normal and then whatever person decides to do with their oncologist and their family docs is up to them Mm -hmm. And so, uh, again, we can use the scalar energy from the biotransducer to, to flip the polarities back to normal, use the biomodulator to recharge the battery packs so they have voltage, you take the, um, have all of the uh, nutritional system that we put together that has everything in it we can find that cells need, and then just get out of the way and let the body heal. So, that's what I wanted to share with you today.
0: Mind-blowing, absolutely mind-blowing. You know when you were running through the five reasons for the low voltage, I'm going, "Okay, well, I have hypo, you know, hypothyroidism, number 2, scarring, cesarean, and then I have had a multitude of issues with my um teeth. And I have probably eight root canals in my mouth with crowns. So in December of last year, I lost a significant portion of my bone that they had to go in and and get rid of. And then four the emotions, you know, growing up with a lot of trauma, five, the toxins, we can't escape them. They are literally everywhere. So I, I am just literally mind blown. However, This brings so much peace of mind because I have a better understanding of how I've gotten here. And based on the understanding of how I've gotten here and then your presentation of action steps that we can take, it gives me a lot of hope. So my hope is that the listeners who are listening my hope is is that they really have the ability to start rethinking the approach to how we've gotten where we are and how we can start investing our time, energy, and financial resources in ways that are going to give us the biggest bang for our buck. Incredible.
1: Well, thank you very much. It's been an interesting uh, journey for me to go from not being able to think more than a couple of hours a day to finally figuring out how to to help uh, people get their physiology back to normal and, and, uh, and help uh, restore health and peace of mind. And um, so that's why I still, you know, at age, uh, well, again, almost 83, keep going to work every day, because it's so much fun.
0: Well, it seems to me that you still have a lot of work to do with uh, educating and, you know, being an advocate to bring this information to the public, which in our today's time is even more challenging with all of the censorship that we're facing. Seems to me that you are just an an anomaly in the medical field. And ultimately, you have uh, cracked the code. And with this information, we can really support ourselves in a huge capacity. When I was reading through one of your books, uh, one thing that really stood out to me, you made a statement about how we our bodies don't need these things that come from far away, that God literally gave us everything we need to heal, and we have to trust in that. But it's a matter of, you know, getting to the root, and you've done an excellent job of explaining to the audience how we've gotten here. You give me much hope, much hope. So I am curious with all these cysts that have started to present in my body that without getting the voltage turned back on, this is what will then potentially turn into a tumor that would then cause cancer in the body. Is that, am I under the right impression and understanding?
1: Yeah, you know, this the, the data shows that that approximately 50% of Americans will end up with cancer. Mm-hmm. And again, as as uh, I'm just quoting again, uh, Otto Warburg, cancer only and always occurs when any cell or organ has lost 60% of its oxygen requirements. So that leads to the question, well, why, why does a person leave, lose that? Well, again, as I've shown you, with Brewer's work, you flip the polarity, and then with, um, with uh, uh, Bohr's work, that leads to the loss of oxygen. Mm-hmm. And then, as you can see from Simoncini uh, uh, and, and others who have looked at this, actually this business of finding fungus in the, in the blood a uh, couple of years or so before malignancies are diagnosed, goes all the way back to World War I. Some of the German uh, physicians were seeing that that long ago. And so so the fungus shows up uh, to try, when oxygen drops. And then as it drops by 60%, your body uh, stem cells recognize the damage that's going on and try to solve that problem of damage by uh, making a mass of blood vessels So basically all tumors, all solid tumors are basically placentas.
0: Mm. So that explains all of this vascularity that has started to develop in my breast, in my liver, and in the ovary, as well as my lungs. It's phenomenal.
1: Yeah. so, So, and you need to differentiate between vascularity and cis. So iodine is the truck that moves secretions from inside cells to outside cells. So uh, any place that you have cysts it's due to iodine deficiency. So for example, you can take a woman with uh, fibrocystic breast disease, put her on the iodine product that you discussed. Mm-hmm. And within six weeks, the, all those cysts are gone out of the breast.
0: I'm just gonna show uh, the audience one of the products that you have developed that I started taking.
1: Yeah, so again, cysts in the body are due to iodine deficiency. Wow.
0: (laughs) Wow. (laughs) Incredible. You are brilliant. And I just want to commend you on your ability to take this really complex information and articulate, articulate it in a way that the consumer can understand. I think that this is so vital to the education piece is being able to present information in a way that the audience can connect with, understand, create the value behind needing to take action. So, back a couple weeks ago, I met one of your trained technicians who, uh, she's trained in your scalar equipment, and so um, she was talking to me about that device and what it does so i'm gonna i plan to have her on the podcast so that we can dive deeper into that technology is there anything just briefly that you would like to say about that that device you created
1: well yeah um, everybody knows about electromagnetic energy you know it's electricity and it's radio waves and all of that kind of stuff very few people know uh very much about scalar but it turns out that scalar is is the is an energy that fills the entire universe, and so scalar energy is a little bit like energy in a savings account. It's not, you know, it's not doing anything until it bumps into something that is either a platonic solid, or is Fibonacci. So I know a lot of people don't know what those words mean, but a platonic solid is something that is a sphere a cube, a pyramid, a hexagon, etc. cetera. And uh, so if you think about, for example, what's the shape of the skull? Well, it's basically a sphere. Um, what's the shape of the chamber in your heart? It's a pyramid. So that explains why blood begins to move in an embryo before the heart ever starts to beat because mm-hmm. scalar energy implodes into it and the energy then allows it to start moving as well as the fact that the... That arteries and veins are opposite polarity, and that also helps move it through the body. What's the shape of a uterus? It's basically a pyramid. So you're imploding scalar energy into the uterus, which the baby needs in order to grow. And so um, the, um, and then our DNA is actually uh, what's called Fibonacci. So Fibonacci is a, is a number called 1.618 so if you look at your finger the second digit here is um, 1.618 times the first one the next digit is uh, uh, is uh, 1.618 times that etc so um the distance between the top and the bottom of my skull is 1.618 times the distance between my pupils so uh, but perhaps more important than all of that is that for every Uh, length of every turn of the DNA, it's 1.618 times the diameter. And so scalar is what implodes into the center of our DNA to empower it. And so it was shown by Konstantin Mael, a physicist in Germany, that scalar energy actually powers the DNA, reads the genetic code, communicates with nearby cells through this, through scalar, copies the genetic code so that when you make a new cell, it transfers it to the new cell. Mm. So again, scalar is basically the essence of life itself.
0: Yeah. And
1: right. so um, so that's the issue about scalar. And we've been a- we've able to figure out how to develop a device we call the biotransducer, which actually puts out scalar energy so we can actually use it and direct it. And so it's extremely... Uh, we couldn't do what we do without that device because we have to flip the polarities back to normal. Mm -hmm. And also we use it to get rid of emotional baggage, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So that's really been a a great tool in our hands to help people resolve their uh, medical issues.
0: Yeah. So what is a average person looking at in terms of time investment with using this kind of technology on a daily basis?
1: Well, um, first of all, one of the things that's difficult to, for people to do is to figure out how how do they get their thyroid measured? How do they get their scars fixed? How do they mm-hmm. know whether their teeth are a problem? Certainly how to deal with their emotional baggage, et cetera, without coming to the clinic. Okay. So they almost always, if they really need to have uh, at least a couple of days in our clinic for us to go through, see our various uh, uh, medical staff to look at each one of these subjects and okay. train them what they need to do to go home. Okay. And our goal when people come to our clinic is to try to teach people how to take care of their families so they don't need us anymore.
0: Right. I love um, that.
1: And that takes a little bit of time and and uh, uh, and so forth. And then there, are, you know, there are various uh, amounts of equipment or uh, components of equipment that people can get. Now I don't get involved with. Uh, You know, I'm not involved with the selling of equipment, et et cetera. I just am um, involved with teaching people how it works and why they need it. But uh, you'll have to talk to the folks at Synergy Medical Group to understand all of the costs.
0: I will definitely do that.
1: I always say, you know, I mean, people say, well, I can't afford that. And I said, well, can you afford cancer?
0: No, no, we cannot. (laughs) It's a no brainer. I think and again this goes back to the statement that I made earlier you know it really take it takes advocacy around education to create the value to help people understand how they need to shift how they're using their time how they're using their energy and allocating their financial resources and so we really have to rethink that approach if we want the long term sustainable uh success for longevity and vitality which you Obviously have created for yourself being that you're 83 years old and still, you know, probably have more optimal energy than many 20 year olds that we encounter on a daily basis. So I commend you. It's absolutely profound. I truly appreciate the opportunity to have this interview today and you do such an incredible job of creating the value for the listeners so they can understand what kind of action steps they need to take. I think post-COVID, there are so many people like myself who are really struggling. And I think that, you know, for me, it was just the icing on the cake. All of these other things had already persisted and been present from early childhood. And it was just the tipping point that got me to the place where the switch flipped.
1: Well, well, again, it's very kind of you to uh, uh, have me uh, visit with your uh, audience. And hopefully some of the things we said are will resonate with them. And um, if so, hopefully they can find ways to keep their family well, which is what it's all about.
0: Absolutely. And we have all of the information for the audience. It's on the screen. I highly recommend everyone uh, definitely watch this via YouTube or Spotify so that they can walk through the visuals. You've done such an incredible job creating such tangible um, resources to really educate. So thank you very much, Dr. Tennant. I truly appreciate your time and this opportunity. Thanks for listening to the Think Yourself Healthy podcast. Do me a favor. And if you loved this episode, please go leave a review. Reviews help make sure that this content reaches more people so that we can continue to heal as a collective. Remember to take a screenshot that you're listening and tag us on Instagram at Heather Barbieri RDN for a 15% discount on the Retrain Your Brain program. See you next time.